listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So if you attended our 2019 Profiting from Thought Leadership Conference, you'll probably agree Maria Bolden from Gardner stole the show. Today, Jeff and I welcome her onto the podcast to talk about the sales kill box. But before we get there, Maria, could you just give us a brief introduction and tell us a little bit about your role at Gardner? No worries. Glad to do a quick intro. I worked for DuPont for 33 years. I started when I was five as a young chemical engineer. (laughs) And DuPont had a habit of taking an engineer and morphing them into whatever function they thought would be a good fit. And I happened to fall into the commercial world after about seven years of doing what most engineers do at a chemical company with, you know, research and development and operating manufacturing facilities and and doing all kinds of quality control things. And then I moved into a tech service role where I had my first engagement at the customer interface. And for those of you who are of a certain generation, you'll recognize this reference. It was like that scene in The Wizard of Oz when it goes from black and white to color. And all of a sudden, this nerdy engineer that was fascinated by solving differential equations and doing unit operations and and material balances and, you know, running high quality and yields and things like that got fascinated by what is a world-class sales professional? What makes some better than others? Are they born with it? Is it a personality thing? Are there behaviors? And I spent the better part of my career studying that. I had the privilege to lead a lot of organizations within DuPont, ending, culminating with the $6 billion safety and construction platform. So brands like Kevlar, Nomex, Tyvek, Corian. But after 33 years, I still felt like there was a world of things I still wanted to do. I wanted to try. And as excited as I was about the merger with Dow as a stockholder, as a professional, I wanted to go out and and try some new things. I made the jump and found myself here at Gartner, where I now have the opportunity to be the what we call the the CSO, the chief sales officer whisperer. So people who have the privilege of leading their global commercial organizations think of me as their consigliere, their thought partner, their challenger. And that's what I do now. So I have the vantage, before I had the vantage point of a DuPont portfolio, that nexus of bringing the portfolio to the world and bringing the world to the portfolio. Now I get to see it through the eyes of hundreds of clients. It's fascinating. I did not know that about you. I did not know that you were an engineer mm-hmm. at heart and an engineer by trade. And, and yeah. you had come into the sales world through that lens. That's really fascinating. Bachelor's degree in chemical engineering with a chemistry minor from Drexel. Fascinating. All right. So what I stumbled through in the opening is you use this phrase and I want to just recant it. And maybe I'll have you recant it because sure. I love the way you said it. So. Okay, sure. So, I mean, my basic point is that if a sales leader, if a commercial leader has a seller with 2019 skills and 2019 attitudes and 2019 behaviors, and they're sending that seller into a 2021 buying cycle, then they're basically sending that seller into a kill box. And I can explain what I mean by that because I I know it's dramatic and I'm not trying to make it overly dramatic. But buying behaviors, commercial B2B buying behaviors have changed dramatically since 2019. So if your selling behaviors didn't evolve to meet that new way of buying, then you'll fail. And that's hard for a lot of sellers who are just dying to get back out there, the ones who can't wait to hop on a plane or jump in their car and go see a customer the way they did before the pandemic. 
I like to call that Jeff walks into a bar. (laughs) (laughs) And the bartender says. And the bartender says. So Jeff, jump in anywhere here. But I guess talk to us a little bit about what's changed so dramatically from the buy side. Like what what how have the behaviors changed? I mean, I think we all have some sense of it, but I guess what what are you really seeing? Because the way you described it, it's it's like a sea shift, not just a it's not like it's like a minor change in behavior here. It's like behaviors have changed dramatically. Absolutely. And in all honesty, we were seeing a lot of this before the pandemic. We were seeing trends that suggested big changes in buying behavior were coming. So for example, and, and you may remember this from that 2019 event, we had measured that most buyers were only spending about 17% of their time actually meeting with suppliers. So if an organization is looking at three different suppliers, they're only using 17% of their time to look at three different suppliers. That means you might get about five. And when the world went remote, that time squeeze where we were seeing sellers get squeezed out, squoze out, whatever the the past (laughs) tense is, that just got even tighter. So I'm sure it's not a big surprise as the world got more virtual and far more digital that sellers were getting squeezed out even more and getting less and less time, not just physically in front of customers. We're, we're in a pandemic. You can't physically meet with them. But even this in this, this little box of, of video conferencing, whether it's Zoom yeah. or WebEx or whatever, and that reduces the time that we get to spend with them in any format. When done right, though, that doesn't mean a terrible thing. In fact, it could be a great thing for sellers, for buyers, and, and for the companies they represent. But it's a change. So if that time's squeezing, if they're spending less time meeting with suppliers, where is that time going? It's going to online learning and okay. and a digital experience. In fact, we have collected a lot of data that shows there are on average six to eleven people involved in, in most buying processes. You need them all to say yes. If one says no, the deal stalls or or can die. And each one of those people have different reasons to buy, different goals they're trying to achieve. And each of those people are surfing, you know, again, online learning usually, as many as eight different sources, sometimes more. And in today's environment, they're constantly bombarded with more information. So they're trying to rationalize it. They're mostly skimming the sources they're accessing, trying to understand and make sense of all the really good, high quality, but often conflicting and confusing information. And all the while, they're trying to build consensus in their own organization. So they're busy trying to teach themselves online. Mm -hmm. In fact, and, and this is part of the punchline, so I might as well jump to it. We measured buying behavior preferences, and on average, 44% of people in a buying motion would prefer a completely rep-free environment. They think they can learn everything they need to make a good decision online. And that jumps to 54% for millennials, which basically are a lot of the decision makers in the current environment. So, you know, that's a big deal. So, you know, they're, they're spending maybe 10 seconds on any web page. 83% of them report that they multi-screen. They use two and a half devices at a time. And again, you know, that's a lot of people doing a lot of online learning on their own, trying to make sense of the plethora of information out there. That's where they're spending their time. And frankly, they're stuck in a buying cycle that is not the picture of efficiency. <laughs> or, well, let me ask this question, Maria. It's not the picture of efficiency. 
Is it the picture of effectiveness? I would say no, because I think in principle, you'd think it would be. This is a process. Most people follow these basic steps when they're trying to buy something. They have an issue. So they've identified their issue. They explore the possible ways to solve that issue. They build the requirements associated with finding a way, you know, basically the criteria that they would use to decide between the solutions at their at their review. And then they start selecting suppliers or, or organizations that could solve that problem based on the requirements they created. All the while, they're trying to validate what they've done. Have I identified the right problem? Have I found the, the right range of solutions? Have I set the requirements the right way? And have I cast the net of possible suppliers effectively? And then as they're validating those, they're also trying to create consensus in the organization. What sounds like a very linear process actually looks like a spaghetti bowl because all of those different stakeholders are learning on their own. They have different goals. And there's a lot of what we call looping where they, okay, wait, we, we, we thought we had the requirements built the right way, but are we really solving the problem that we have? And we set the requirements and we define the suppliers, but this still doesn't feel like a safe bet. Let's go back and validate it again. And when you see this kind of looping, if you question whether or not this is really happening for your buyers, if you have noticed no deals happening or smaller, safer deals happening, that is usually a really good sign that this process is both ineffective, inefficient, and not working well. And you know, the, the irony of that, Maria, is it seems to me like a third party coming in and sorting through all that chaos would be so useful. But of course, no one would think it would be a salesperson because they're not objective, right? Yeah. So who's right. who's helping them make and sort through these decisions if it's not the sales people? Well, unfortunately, they're going it alone and they're trying to tackle that within their own organizations. And Jeff, you couldn't be more right. Imagine if there was a Sherpa. Imagine if there was someone who could sort through that spaghetti bowl, that chaos and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk to you not just about the information my company shares with you, but I'm going to help you make sense of all the, the bombardment that you're facing. I'm going to help you sift through and also find in this process the moments that matter, the decisions that make sense. I'm going to help you find the nuance where nuance seems elusive. And I'm going to help you identify the steps in that process where when you do it the right way, you can be confident that you have made a good choice. I can help you find the criteria that will define that you made a good choice in what you're driving. Because, you know, again, what we have found is those same buyers who really want a rep-free environment. I don't want a Sherpa. I don't want to talk to anybody. Maybe it's because they had a bad buying experience. I mean, come on, we've all had those. I respect the profession. It's the one I love. But we know those sellers who it's all about them and all they're going to do is talk about them. And we're, when they're done talking about them, they want you to talk about them. <laughs> you know, we've all sat through that. We know it's painful. But for the buyers who shut sellers out, our data shows that they have 23% higher purchase regret. Because again, this is B2B. This is complex buying. It's not easy. You know, RFQs are, are going to try and simplify it down to the simplest thing, and that's price. So if you're getting a lot of price pressure, it's not just the pandemic. It's not just the economy. It's they 
go to the great equalizer. And the great equalizer, when you're spending 10 seconds on a web page and you can't tell the difference between most brands' digital experiences, I mean, 76% of people did nothing different after a digital experience because 64% of them can't tell the difference between what they're seeing on people's websites. They're confused. So again, that Sherpa is so needed right now. So for the sellers stuck in 2019, they're like, Sherpa, hell, just put me on a plane, get me in front of them. I'll tell them how great I am. And if, if they really need me, I'll bring my subject matter expert. That's my ace in the hole. And we'll just tell them the right thing to do. I've got millennial children. Have you ever tried to tell them what to do? You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. I'm actually going to make a quick Gartner plug, and this is actually kind of odd, but I have a web page up in front of me right now, and we're going to put it in the show notes, and it's basically the new B2B buying journey that Gartner has laid out. And I would just encourage listeners, as Maria's talking, to go look at some of these visual assets that support what she's talking about, because what she's doing is she's bringing clarity to a lot of Gartner's really high-quality research around this. And there's a, there's a great chart on here I'm going to point out about the, you know how the buying journey isn't linear that I would just encourage people to check out. It's a really Really powerful chart that helps you understand really how this looping is playing out and how it's occurring and what's going on. So I have a question for you. And Jeff, you'll probably chime in on this too. You said basically a lot of what's happening in the buying process, you talked about sense making and trying to help buyers be confident that they made the right choice. I guess my inference is what you're telling me is that in the buying process, I know, Jeff, you've said this, that sellers overemphasize the role of problem identification. They spend a lot of time kind of trying to like frame and reframe the problem five ways from Sunday and tell the buyer that they don't understand their own problems. Are you saying that actually like that confidence in decision making is actually the, the bigger challenge of the buyer right now than it was years ago, where years ago, maybe problem identification was the problem, that they were constantly getting it wrong. And now suddenly they're getting better at that, but now they can't get consensus and they can't be confident. I mean, I'm just curious. No, it's it's a fair, it does make sense. And and if you think about when sales were deployed, you know, back in the stone ages, when, when, when sellers actually went out, they often went out to help with early stage learning. To help with that problem identification and solution exploration and requirement setting. But most buyers, you know, they've got two thirds of the process done before they even want to engage a seller. And by that point, they just want to talk about what's your price? Here's an RFQ format. You know, they've tried to drive some efficiencies there. And for a lot of sellers who like to kick it old school, they're trying to bust their way back into problem identification, but they're struggling with the fact that it's they're competing for time and they're competing for bandwidth in terms of the the buyer's ability to absorb information and they become part of the problem. They're like, oh, you need information on this. Let me give you more information. And it's like, that's the opposite of help. Please don't give me any more information. I And I don't trust you because you're just trying to cherry pick the information that you want me to see. Mm-hmm. So that decision confidence comes from a few areas that the rep has to be able to do. The sense making is part of it, and it's making sense not just of the information you share, but of the universe of information that that buyer might be looking at 
to make a good decision and to do that sense-making step. The seller actually has to understand the journey that that buyer is on, where they find information, not just about you, but about your competitors. How do they learn? Where do they get stuck? And the seller who can do that, even if it's something as simple as, you know what, I, as I look at what you're considering and the problem that you've discussed with me, these are the places where I've seen people like you get stuck or organizations like yours get stuck. And these are some of the ways we've helped them get unstuck. And these are some of the things you need to look out for in your process that might be challenging for you, confusing for you, or even a roadblock. And it could be internal to their process or external, but that ability to be a Sherpa and that ability to do it where they are figuratively and literally, both in their buying journey and in their working world. You know, how many buyers are actually in an office right now? They're like us, they're remote. And even if they are in an office, some offices haven't, most offices haven't opened completely. They're not going to be receiving visitors. So you're going to have this conversation at a Starbucks or a Panera, you know, the, the, the sellers. Billion dollars is online. <laughs> right? And this is complex B2B. Again, we're not trading pork yeah. bellies here. Yeah. We're actually, you know, selling laser solutions or or whatever. And what our research shows is that the rep who can make sense of this chaotic world, that buyers inadvertently throw themselves into even more deeply by resisting talking to someone, those sellers can be that Sherpa. They can guide them through the challenges, through the places where they get stuck. And the ones who can truly lead buyers to a confident decision are 10 times more likely to close a high quality, low regret deal. That's a big, complex deal that is sustainable. It's not going to run out as soon as the contract is over or you've fulfilled it the first time. And frankly, the reps that do that best are the ones who know how to marry their digital and virtual engagement with the buyers and their ability with the buyer's activity and the ability to make sense of that chaos. So again, coupling those those virtual selling skills that in addition to a good digital engagement with that sense-making skill, those are the things that really are the keys to unlocking decision confidence. And again, you know, our data, it's it's the single biggest statistically significant aspect of driving decision confidence that makes a buyer 10 times more likely not just to buy from you, but to do it sustainably. And it's Mm -hmm. the reps that effectively use technology, not just the skill to use it, but the will to use it. And if they're so distracted because they can't wait to get back out there and they just want their their status back on the airline and they want to be Marriott Platinum again, and I got to take them to lunch, I got to get in their head, you know, those days are over. That's the kill box. You know, Maria, I've seen this in my own experience, and I'm sure you're seeing it now coming out of DuPont. But my sense is you cannot see all those interdependencies and landmines unless you put yourself into the shoes of that buyer. And for me, it's easier because I've been a CMO for 20 plus years buying, you know, complex B2B stuff. And you were a buyer of B2B stuff, not just selling, but you had to buy technologies and things to support your team. 
And when we're talking about the landmines in interdependencies and a deep understanding of your competitors, there's even more to that. And it's the things that aren't seen. It's the things that aren't thought about that create these problems. You know, I have a client that helps people buy technology and really has built the business model around what we're describing here. But just understanding the interdependencies between, you know, people, process and technology, you know, which is a a popular kind of framework, goes so far beyond because there are permutations that are created by choices that we make when we set requirements. And that's where most people don't give the deep thought, but where the real value is added, because you, you can't just be an expert in your own product or your competitor's products, because there's so much interdependency between all these other things in the ecosystem. I couldn't agree more. You know, Nicholas Carr wrote a book called The Shallows about what the internet is doing to our brain. And, you know, if even if you look beyond the online learning and the things that people are doing, a lot of people just are so busy, even if it's not tied up in online, they're skimming everything. The world has become a more busy place. And on the buying side, it's like, I've got all this to do with this process and I've got to consider everything and review everything. On the selling side, you know, if you're a business development rep, you know, a hunter, you know, most of the ones are hit it and quit it. I just want to close this deal. I got a job to do. I got to hit my quota. I'm going to tell them what they need to know and I'm going to get out of there. And it's the AE's issue to sustain the relationship and get them to buy again. And a lot of the account executives out there are saying, well, I want to get a relationship with them. I got, I got to take them to lunch. I got to take them to dinner. I got to take them to a ball game. I got to do something to establish that foundation. Now I will always submit that relationship 101 is a is a foundation of being able to sell because they have to trust you you have to have credibility but you know you're not going to be the godfather of their children i saw a lot of sellers in the 90s that were actually it, at that level of relationship with a few buyers it's not like that now and it can't be like that now because the world's too busy and too complex and these are complex b2b sales so this is where a unified commercial engine where whoever is out there driving the marketing machine to create value and digital content and creating the places where buyers learn have to be attached at the hip with sellers who are going out there to capture the value that's been created because they have to speak the same language. They have to understand that process. It's not easy. And they've got to harness technology to meet buyers where they are. That's not just being really good on a Zoom call. That's being able to help them with tools that help with, you know, total cost of ownership or process optimization and other things that you're not going to be in person to do anymore. In fact, let's face it, you weren't doing that in person even before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this is one of those times you got to have skill and will, because if you don't have both, you're not going to thrive here. Maria, I I love what you said about marketing and, and sales being joined. I would throw in client service delivery Agreed. to that as as well. And in particularly in professional services, a lot of the time the salespeople are those service delivery, but not all of the service delivery. But you know, SaaS companies, you know, sales makes promise promises that <laughs> can't be delivered. Does that happen? It, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Hubs, HubSpot, sorry. Excuse and me, and we've I... said many <laughs> we've said many times on this podcast that buyers don't delineate between those functional roles. It's all one thing called customer experience. And people are so slow to get that. It's it amazing, really isn't is. it? And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, Jeff, maybe it's fiefdoms. I mean, if you think about unified commercial engine, you couldn't be more right. And we see a lot of tech firms already making the evolution to a chief revenue officer, or a chief commercial officer that owns marketing, sales, customer success, customer experience, sometimes even finance, because getting all of those eyes and ears and support measures aligned and functioning with the customer at the center. You know, people talk a good game, but when you've got somebody who is in a single remit, there's not functional stovepipes. One leader owns it and has to make it work. With those stovepipes gone, you actually get a well-oiled unified commercial engine that works for the customer and drives your own profitable growth. Now, we are seeing this convergence of functions for sure. Not everyone has made that leap to put one butt in the seat, if you will, but a lot have. And we think it's it's a trend that's going to continue, especially now. Well, we are probably coming up on time. And I hate to do this because there's like seven different directions I'd like to go. Jeff, is there a question that's burning in your brain that you have to get out, that if we do not get this out, then we miss the great opportunity? Maria, bottom line for our listeners, what do they need to do? Ah. <laughs> well, Easy question. Yeah, just, yeah, just simple. Softball, right? I, I, can, I can think I can do this pretty quickly. If you are in a buying motion, do not succumb to the lure of online learning and, and shutting out people who can be your Sherpa. I'm not saying it's going to be easy to identify who they are, but they are out there. And there are certain tells where you can identify them. If you are in a selling motion, whatever you did before the pandemic, forget it. Because the world you knew then will never come back. Your ability to adapt to a digital environment with digital tools and virtual engagement with maybe the right face-to-face only when the customer needs it to get a deal across the finish line, needs your help in some way, is the future and what drives decision confidence. Everybody needs to basically open their mind to the power of what a mix of digital and human can do. Wow. Awesome. Does that mean I can replace Jason? With totally. a digital, totally. a digital. I've been, I've been programming an AI version of me for years so that I can talk into into oblivion. People I want to be. I, I could design an avatar for myself. That would <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that. The, the good news is the rubric underlying the AI is incredibly simple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm biting my tongue. I'm biting my tongue. <laughs> you have amazing self restraint. Well, so like I said, Maria stole the show in 2019 at our conference, and she just stole the show in our podcast here for the, you know, probably the the balance of 2021 and into early 2022. So I encourage listeners to listen to this again, especially the last half, because you just, she basically just laid out kind of a, I'll just call it a call to arms on what you need to be doing right now, for lack of a better phrase. So thank you, Maria. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Jeff, for participating as well. You guys made it fun. Thanks for having me. Hey, buddy. Thanks, Mary. See ya. 
Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. 